0: Welcome to the RCSLT Podcast. I hope you're keeping well, whether you're working from home or at your place of work. We are now about two months into the lockdown. Uh, I don't know about you, but I still find it very strange. There's a certain rhythm to the days, but they do tend to bleed into one another. So today we're talking to Dr. Hannah Crawford. Hannah is the head of speech and language therapy for a large mental health and learning disability trust. And we're obviously going to be talking about the pandemic and what it means for the profession. We're being good citizens and practicing social distancing, so we did this interview over Skype. Unfortunately, the sound quality isn't great, but hopefully you'll stick with us anyway. I started by asking Hannah what sorts of SLT interventions would be relevant for people suffering from or or, or recovering from COVID-19
1: some of our acute colleagues will, will know this better who are working with people um, who have already had COVID but because COVID has a primarily respiratory presentation that overlaps with the people who have eaten and drinking difficulties so people who have eaten and drinking difficulties often have respiratory difficulties as well because of the way that um, dysphagia impacts on the lungs so either those people who already had dysphagia and who then get COVID might have much more significant impairment, or those people who weren't previously dysphagic but who have had COVID, the respiratory problems may then result in more difficulties with eating and drinking. Right. So, um, it it it's that, and but we know so you know we're learning fast about the impact of COVID, but um, whether there's any cognitive um impact of COVID that will then um impact on communication, but also when people are very very fatigued, it it, it may have an impact on their ability to produce their voice. It might have you know they might be much more out of breath at when they're talking, um, and so it's just. We're learning all the time about that, but being aware that COVID itself may result in um, impairments that that we can help with, as well as looking at um, the uh, mental health impact that COVID and the lockdown may have had on service users. So in mental health and learning disability trusts, we're also um, working to identify what support we can give our service users in that respect.
0: So, yeah, on that point, how is your team coping uh, generally with the the situation?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think um, we've remained very busy in our speech therapy service. We are looking at what uh, services we can continue to deliver and have delivered all the way through the pandemic. We are looking at the learning that we have uh, undertaken during that period and, and what we might bring to future services from that learning. And we're looking at kind of how we respond to the changing guidance from the government on, a, on an ongoing basis. We're also looking at kind of work streams that we had running prior to COVID and what we can pick up um, from, from those. So it, it's very much kind of while we're working under the, the, the different arrangements we've got for COVID, we're also starting now to drop in back in some of the stuff that we were working on before so it's very very busy at the moment actually um so yeah i think um people are just getting used to different ways of working and um how that affects kind of what they're doing and i've got an eye on the staff's um well-being as well and and their physical and mental health as a result of of the changing environment we find we all find ourselves in
0: yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Having spoken to some um, colleagues in, in the in the NHS, is that one of the effects seems to be that it's accelerating certain kinds of changes and, and innovations. And I guess, as, as challenging as the situation is at the moment, there there are some silver linings.
1: Yeah, and I think it's it's we've we've been forced into reviewing everything we do um, in terms of the way we work, and and within that, there are some. Innovate. There's in, there's space for innovation as well, um, and so thinking about you know how we might bring some of that learning to what we're doing moving forward um, it is really exciting.
0: Right. So let's talk about some of the um, the practicalities. How is your service able to to keep on operating and and uh, deliver for patients in a way that's that's safe?
1: Yeah. Well, we 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 have really good relationships with a lot of our kind of service users, our providers, our families. Um, and we've continued to stay in touch with, with the people we were working with throughout the whole of, of the pandemic. So um, responding to those needs on an individual basis. We um 've we've, we've had to use some different um, technology which has been the case across the whole of community provision so um, with attend anywhere we are now looking at how what how and what we can deliver through um, telemedicine um, and and some of that you know we're learning about that and we're doing some work with our service users and carers to find out what works for them and, and how that works and and what support we can put in place to make that as effective as possible we also are continuing to see those service users who we deem um, need face-to-face contact but with um, appropriate PPE so um, yeah we've continued to do that we continue to receive referrals and we look at you know each referral on a needs-led basis and we are as as community provision we are now um, fit tested for our um, for 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 PPE so that we can go out and do what we need to do in the community.
0: So how are the, the team finding um, telemedicine? Because you've used telemedicine in, in the trust before.
1: Uh, we hadn't used it a lot in oh. our organisation prior to COVID, um, but we we kind of have got up and running with that quite quickly. So we just we're just feeling our way with it, to be honest, and working out. Uh, you know, talking with service users and carers to, for, to see who, who likes it, what, what, what they like about it, what makes it difficult to use. And we're also thinking about how that works with the specific assessments and interventions that we do in speech and language therapy. So really trying to use this as an opportunity to evaluate it right from the start of using it um, so we can use it in a, you know, in a tailor-made way for service users and carers.
0: Right, so how how do you um, go about making uh, the decision about who you who you can do telemedicine with, and uh, and who you really have to see face to face?
1: We've developed a, a criteria within our organisation that's based on a range of parameters. So we will look at each each referral um, and and kind of the presenting needs, and then have a discussion as a team about those that we feel need. Um, face-to-face assessment and those who we can see in different ways but also some of that is discussion with the service users and carers themselves and and talking to them about um, whether how they would feel about um, an attend anywhere appointment or um, how they would feel about you know whether they want to be seen face-to-face or not um, because uh, some families are are shielding themselves, so don't want to be seen until until after the pandemic. So it's a very very much a a, a kind of a, a bespoke decision based on the referral and the individual service users and carers.
0: So when we're talking telemedicine, are we um, talking telephone calls or or video conferencing?
1: Both. Both. So we've got access to attend anywhere, mm-hmm. uh, which is the video um, uh, appointmenting. Um, and and we've also obviously got regular telephone calls as well. So um, the, both usually what we will do is do a telephone call first and see if we can then set up and attend anywhere if if that's what the service user and carer would like.
0: Right, right. So have you had to do anything to um, upskill staff in, in in terms of the um, new technologies or anything?
1: No wanted to practice a bit first you know and um, i think that's something that is interesting when we think about supporting our service users and carers to use the technology is actually just learning how to do that first before we use it clinically is, is really important so the staff have, have practiced using it and we've had lots of discussions about what works best and, and how to you know and IT have been really helpful as well in supporting all these queries and we get kind of regular bulletins from the organisation and from Attend Anywhere themselves um, to help us work through some of these issues but it's really learning on the job to be honest.
0: Yeah I mean I guess most of this technology is it it's pretty um it's pretty straightforward to use, isn't it really
1: yeah. yeah and i think I think if you're used to using things like smartphones and you know Skype had been around for a while um, that, that you can generally be fairly logical, so my experience is that that you kind of generally can work it out but there's uh, there's, there's help on hand if it is a bit more challenging
0: and what are the barriers that you find most um frustrating to having to to practice in this way specifically around telemedicine
1: um i think ultimately we're all healthcare professionals and and we got into this job because we want to provide compassionate care to service users and carers and and that restriction on that freedom of face-to-face contact is really difficult Mm. um you know we like to see our service users and carers we like to form those relationships and and having these uh changes to our practice, it, it, it's difficult and I think um, we're all working at how to stay connected as staff teams, as colleagues and understanding really and recognising how important that is um, about about that connectedness and, and I think that, that goes across um, our professional groups, our colleagues, our teams as well as, as with our service users and carers.
0: If there are certain things that we can do as well using these technologies then it, it does present an opportunity to, to introduce more more flexible ways of, of, of working in the future though right
1: I think one of the one of the learning things is is the opportunity to to work in a much more lean way and particularly where you know you might be doing quite a bit of travel as part of your job I mean for example I, I did travel to the Royal College in London from the Northeast East, Um, every now and then. There'll be opportunities to use that type of technology for that professional networking without having to spend, um, you know, probably what was the best part of the day travelling to London and back. Um, And that has its cost implications as well as its environmental implications. So some of those things, um, you know, using this technology will be able to work in a much more lean environmentally and cost-effective way um, for for things like that. I think, um, you know... it does allow us to attend more things during a day that you otherwise would have had to travel for. Mm. Um, but I think the note of caution in that is that it's, it's really important to factor in some thinking time within that um, that day as well. So if you were going to attend three, you know, if you're attending three or four virtual meetings, I think it's really important to factor in some thinking time between those meetings um, because otherwise it becomes... Um, quite hard to to get any space in the day to actually, like like I say, do that productive thinking and planning.
0: Right. So when it comes to the face-to-face patients, what's it like working with PPE? Like the the shield is is quite cumbersome, for example.
1: Yeah, that's right. And and I think particularly for some of our service users, those who've got hearing impairment who um, rely on lip reading, just looking at what solutions we might have to masks that include um, the the mouth and the lips, um, and you know, working with uh, service users who've got impaired cognition who might not understand why you're wearing the PPE, um, and who might find it quite unsettling. So I think, um, yeah, I think we're going to learn more about that, and our colleagues in the acute sector who who are seeing probably more patients at the moment than we are, we'll be, able, we'll be able to learn from what they've found. But certainly from a communication point of view, where you've got the the mouth and kind of the nose and all the facial expressions occluded, as well as the the opportunity to lip read, that's quite difficult.
0: So how can uh, SLTs support their colleagues in uh, MDTs? I
1: think we... we Need to carry on bringing our unique contribution to that multidisciplinary team, and looking at where um, you know communication and swallowing needs. Still identifying those, problem solving around how we um, meet the needs of service users, advocating for our service users, as well as providing support to our colleagues in the multidisciplinary about, team about the things we know about communication. So encouraging people to stay connected, um, raising these issues, like, for example, how PPE might um, uh, get in the way of communication, su- supporting our colleagues with, you know, maybe um, refresher Signing sessions, things like that, bringing our unique skills to the MDT as well as in support of our service users and carers and advocating for their needs.
0: So, after talking about service provision and the particular challenges that service provision faces during the pandemic, we moved on to the support that we can give each other and the well-being of SLTs and their colleagues. I started by asking Hannah what advice she had for maintaining well-being.
1: I think what is becoming clear is that um, everybody's kind of well-being needs are very individual. So, thinking about kind of your professional well-being and linking in with your um, the supervisory arrangements that you, you have in-house, um, looking at your regional support networks and, and the support networks that you probably built around yourself. Um, so, for example, lots of newly qualified practitioners will um, link in with their newly qualified colleagues. Um, you know, uh, other people link with like-minded clinicians working in similar areas by email stuff like that so making sure that you do use your existing networks um the the regional sends and the regional hubs are another good place for um support so um but looking at that but also looking at what you need for your own well-being so um you know making sure that you do do the things that keep you um Physically and mentally well, um, making sure that you do those as well, I think is really, really important. But I, I think they're very individually based. Yeah. Um, but just taking time to think about what those are and making sure you can factor those into your week as well.
0: Is supervision uh, more important now than it was before?
1: Um. I've always believed supervision is is crucially important, um so it, it's kind of hard to say um, it's more important now, but I, I think circumstances like that this underline how important it is and that that we really just we really must maintain um supervision, and particularly if it's a little bit more difficult to do it face to face to make sure that we use the technology available to make sure that supervision does happen rather than letting it slip.
0: So, what's your like number one tip on staying um, sane uh, during this this kind this weird time?
1: I guess that again, they're very personally uh, based, aren't they? But I think. Connectedness with, with colleagues and it is really, really important and factoring some time in, into your week to do that, to catch up with colleagues and those people who you'd look to for formal and informal support under normal working um, conditions. It's really important to stay in touch with those people mm-hmm. um, to engage in supervision and, and talk about your concerns and talk about your worries, um, to seek support because it's easy to keep going. Um until you, to, you know longer than you might otherwise have done so to seek out that support and i guess if you're in a leadership position to be asking the people that you're supporting what can i possibly do to help you how are you doing today and just reaching out to those people that you're supporting as well to 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 um to ask them the questions and give them the opportunity to have those discussions
0: yes i know of some people who they ordinarily would go out on a friday night and have a friday night drinks and now they're doing Friday night drinks via Zoom, but it's still, um, it's still a way of connecting with people.
1: Yeah, and I think yeah, it's it, it again it's all very personally based, isn't it? But making sure that you maintain your own social and family network seems really important as well. Because we haven't got the opportunity to do the things that we would do at the weekend, whatever they were if they were to, you know, to go away camping or to see family and friends or to go and watch music or go to the cinema, a lot of those things that we are usually able to do to completely change focus at the weekend we're not. So looking at what you can do to fill those gaps and how how you can do some of that um, i think is is really important
0: right so my final question to you is do you have any recommended tv programs or netflix series or books or what is your go-to to make lockdown more bearable
1: oh my personal recommendations um well I, I this I'm probably going to show my age now, but I like going back and watching things that are really familiar to me. So mm. I I'm I'm always happy to watch a friend's rerun. Um, <laughs> right. I have finished watching Peaky Blinders, which is oh, yeah. great. I can't wait for a new line of duty, which will help. I really like the Your Nesbo books. Um, oh, yeah. So that's quite escapism. He's a you know um, it's about a, a detective Something's
0: in or Danish or something,
1: isn't he? No. Uh, now Oslo.
0: Uh, (laughs) Um. So we carried on talking about our favourite books and films. The Joe Nesbo books are neither Swedish nor Danish. They are, of course, Norwegian. That's it for today. To everyone out there, keep safe. Um, Until next time.